0: So a question for you. When was the last time that you felt any kind of concern about whether or not the sun would rise the next day? Very likely none of you have experienced that. And If you have, you're probably really digging deep into your thoughts. But we can trust, typically speaking, that the sun is going to rise the next day. It's just been our, our experience all throughout our lives, that every day, The sun rises. At our house we're trying to plant new grass. We had a little work done and then that kind of ruined the backyard so we've been trying to plant grass there. There's also dry patches in our front yard because I'm not the greatest at landscaping and so we're realizing okay I've got to plant some grass here and I'm learning that I need to look at the weather. And what's ideal is if there's gonna be a little bit of rain after we plant the grass so that, that seed can get water and then can receive sunlight and grow and water and sunlight are the two big things that grass really needs to grow. Now, if, if it's not going to rain, that's not the end of the world. We, we have the technology, so to speak, to utilize a sprinkler. And so we can, we can do that, which is great. But if the sun were to not rise, that would be a problem. It's a little more difficult to manufacture sunlight over our whole yard. It's one thing to do that for one little plant. It's another thing to do that for the whole yard. But the past informs my understanding of the future. And so I feel pretty confidently that as we plant the seed, I'm looking more so for rain rather than whether or not the sun is going to rise. I believe the sun is going to rise. As we jump into the text today, we are noticing how Habakkuk is going to draw on his past to have confidence about the future. Now if you're joining us, we've been going through the, the book of Habakkuk. And just to provide some context, this is written around 600 to 650 B.C. So it was written a little bit before the nation of Babylon overtook Jerusalem and Judah. And just to go back even a little bit further, I say the nation of Judah because that was the southern kingdom of Israel. So Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom with ten tribes, and there's a southern kingdom with two tribes, The two tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And the kingdom of Judah, that southern kingdom that we're talking about, was really going astray they were really denying god there's wickedness all around and the prophet habakkuk, habakkuk who is uh, the eighth of 12 minor prophets he is now e- explaining to god that there's wickedness all around and he's frustrated He said, god you're, you're a just god you're a holy god why is it that you are allowing all of this wickedness to take place i don't get it don't you desire and don't you love holiness why are you allowing all of this wickedness to go forward? And then God tells him, "I am doing something about it." You might think that I'm not, but I am doing something about it. And He explains to him what He is going to do about it. He's raising up Babylon. He calls them the Chaldeans. He's raising them up to bring judgment against Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. Now Habakkuk then responds again. So the first time he responded, and the first time he reached out to God, says, "Hey God, why are you allowing this to happen?" God responds, and says. I'm not allowing it. I am going to address it. It's not going to go on forever. And then Habakkuk says, okay, so what are you doing? And God explains what he's doing. And Habakkuk says, why are you doing it that way? So the first time he's complaining, why is this going on? The second time he's explaining, why are you addressing it that way? That seems wrong. And God assures him that, hey, even though you don't like it, this is what's going to happen. But Babylon will also be judged. I recognize that Babylon is more wicked than you and your kingdom in Judah, but both are going to be judged. And he assures Habakkuk of that. And so now we find ourselves in Habakkuk's third and final response to God. So in that first response, verse, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we see the overall theme of the book being that the righteous will live by faith. We see Habakkuk making this claim to God of what's going on and being upset about it, and we see that... Uh, the righteous live by faith even when wickedness surrounds them. So God is still imploring back to live by faith even when wickedness is all around him. And then, in the second half of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, we see the theme of the righteous living by faith even when they don't understand God's ways. And now, as we look at this third section. We see the righteous live by faith because God is faithful. The righteous live by faith because God is faithful. The past informs Habakkuk's understanding of the future. And because God has been faithful in the past, he can live by faith knowing that God will continue to be faithful in the future. And we'll unpack that as we go. But if you turn in your Bibles, we are in Habakkuk 3, and we're going to be looking at the entire chapter of Habakkuk 3 it's 19 verses and if you don't have a Bible you can use one of the blue provided Bibles nearby you're going to find us on our in our text on page 786 of that blue provided Bible It's page 786 just look for the big number three that is where we're going to begin and if you don't own a Bible then just consider that blue one there consider that a gift from our church to you. Okay, so Habakkuk chapter 3. If you're flipping in your Bible, you see Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. We'll begin in verse 1. This is God's word. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you. And writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. Laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The fruit of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master, with stringed instruments. Let's pray father we are grateful for this passage i think there's a lot here we won't even be able to get into all of the details and nuances but lord we are grateful for your faithfulness and we ask that as we look at this text that we'd be further encouraged by your faithful work we pray this in christ's name amen so in this passage um, i believe this this third chapter of habakkuk is split up really in three sections so in the first two verses we see a request So if you look in your bulletin, you'll see there are three points there with a fill in the blank. You can fill them in now if you'd like. The first two verses, we see a request. From verses 3 to 15, we see Habakkuk remember. And then in verses 16 through 19, we see him rejoice. So request, remember, and rejoice. So in verses 1 through 2, we see this request. Now in in verse 1, we're seeing that this is a prayer. This is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Now Habakkuk begins to respond to God's promise of judgment now. In the latter part of chapter 2, God promised Habakkuk that he was going to bring judgment upon the nation of Babylon. And Habakkuk uh, even said that he would be prepared to respond to God. And so now we are getting his response. Now there's a word there, Shigianoth. That's a little bit of a strange word. But essentially what that is... Um, at least based off the two times that it's mentioned in the Old Testament. We see it here in Habakkuk 3. We also see it in Psalm 7. But this is, a, is likely a musical phrase. So we see these phrases throughout. Uh, that makes this kind of look like a psalm. And if you look throughout Habakkuk 3, you see the word selah a few times. Essentially, that's just saying pause. Something weighty was said, pause. But we see that word selah throughout the psalms. And we also see that this shigianoth is likely a musical phrase And then if you look at verse 19, you see Habakkuk even say that this was written to to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so this is likely a prayer of Habakkuk's on behalf of the whole nation that is put to song, so to speak. So they can remember what is happening for generations to come. And so Habakkuk said he would be prepared to respond to God. If you look at chapter 2, look at at the first verse of chapter 2. This is after uh, God has has said that he's going to raise up the Chaldeans, raise up the Babylonians. Then Habakkuk responds kind of frustratingly. And he says, I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, what God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk said he'd be prepared to receive God's response and then respond to God's response. Matthew Henry points out, he says that those that would rightly order their speech to God must carefully observe his speech to them. Those that would rightly order their speech to God must carefully observe his speech to them. So how do we, as a people, carefully observe God's speech to us? What does that look like? It's a nice quote by Matthew Henry, but what does that actually look like? Well, the best way I know how uh, to do that is simply by reading What God has said. Reading his word. We're in a more privileged position, friends, than Habakkuk was. We actually have God's completed word right here. We can open it up and read it. We have more access than anybody in the history of the world. We have more access to God's word. And so step one is, is just reading it. Step two is considering what you just read. Meditating on it. So don't just read it, touch your Bible, go on your day. Consider it. Take some time to think about it. And then step three is to allow it to inform your prayers. So pray through what you just read. And if you're looking for help with that, there's a great small little book uh, that should be just right over there called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. And if you've never read that and you're looking as to how to get better at praying God's word and allowing God's word to inform your prayers, highly recommend you just take that book, uh, read through it, even meet up with somebody and and talk about how how you're applying that book. Uh, Very helpful in praying the Bible. Uh, but maybe, maybe you're, you're saying, okay, that sounds great, but you don't understand, I, I barely have five minutes each day for that kind of thing. And that sounds like that's a, a big process. Well, Even if you only have five minutes, then take two minutes to read. Take one minute to consider what you read or, or, or meditate on it. And then take two minutes to, to pray through it. Even if you only have five minutes, it's five minutes well spent. Um, the Puritans said that meditation, is the halfway house between Bible study and prayer. It's the halfway house between Bible study and prayer. If you're sports fans, it's like halftime. Halftime is a little more difficult because there's less action happening, but it's still vital to a good second half. So if the first half is Bible study, take halftime to to just consider what it is that you just read to meditate on it. And then that second half, so to speak, let, allow it to inform your prayers it'll make for a healthy spiritual life so after considering what God has said to him Habakkuk now responds and so we get Habakkuk's response, now his first two responses were complaints he was frustrated, he was frustrated about his current circumstance, and then he was frustrated about how God was addressing his current circumstance and so now we see Habakkuk's response and here's what he says First, he acknowledges God's past work. And he asks God to revive it, to do it again, so to speak. He he asks God to make it known. Then he says, in wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk is essentially saying, God, let your will be done. Let your will be done. But please don't completely destroy us. Says, in wrath, let your wrath come. But please remember mercy. Don't completely destroy us. So Habakkuk has heard of God's previous work. He acknowledges as much. And then he requests God to do it again. He knows God has acted in the past to provide salvation for his people. He's asking God to save again. The past informs Habakkuk's understanding of the future. And so for all of us in here, a question to keep in mind as we go through the rest of this text is who or what are you relying on for salvation? Who or or what are you relying on for salvation? See, everyone relies on something. It's not well. I, I don't need to rely on something. Everyone does rely on something. Just a matter of what it is. Is it other people? Maybe it's family, friends, coworkers. Maybe it's yourself, accomplishments, your works, your abilities, your your intellect. Maybe it's an object something that you possess perhaps your health or another material possession maybe it's activities the work that you do for a career or hobbies or habits but what is it that you are relying on for salvation when things get really bad what is it that you go to it's a question to think about as we go through this text now Habakkuk he's relying on Yahweh he's relying on God and, and friends, he has really good reason to do that, which we see in these, in these next verses, verses 3 through 15, where we see him remember. So look in verse 3, where Habakkuk begins to recall the various ways that God has acted in the past. He says that God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, this is Habakkuk acknowledging that God has revealed himself what is about to list out all the ways that god has been faithful but he starts off with god has revealed himself that's something for us to remember in that as we consider who god is as we consider our situations around us having the starting point that god has revealed himself is going to make a world of difference as to how you go through that season god has revealed himself he says he came from teman as the holy one from Mount Paran. So now, now Mount Paran, that was a mountain in, uh, in just south of the Canaan border. Now it was from there, from Paran, that spies were sent into Canaan, into the promised land. We see this in Numbers 13 and 14. And so God has revealed himself as the Holy One, but he's also revealed himself as glorious and as praiseworthy and as powerful. Look at the rest of verse 3 and then into verse 4. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. So you see his splendor, his, his majesty. That, that word splendor means majesty or power. His splendor covered the heavens. earth was full of his praise. And in verse 4, he compares God revealing himself to a lightning storm. You see that? Rays flashed from his hand there he veiled his power so i I, earlier this week i was watching a video of a lightning storm sometimes when you're checking the weather they show these interesting weather videos and and there's this storm that was out in idaho and there's this massive lightning storm and a drone had captured it i just got to sit there and watch about a minute and a half and what's fascinating is that it's totally dark you see like a little bit of lights there at the bottom and that's the city Uh, it's far off in a distance and you think oh wow We're pretty far away because all those lights are pretty small. But then the the sky just lights up. And you see these massive clouds. You see this this massive amount of light. And you just realize, wow, we are really small. That lightning storm is extremely powerful. And that's how Habakkuk is describing God as he revealed himself on Mount Sinai. But then Habakkuk describes what God did to Egypt in the Exodus. Look at verses 5 and 7. 5 through 7, excuse me. We see pestilence and plague. They followed at his heels. Now this is a reference to the ten plagues against Egypt. And in verse 6, it say that he shook the mountains. Again, what, what happened with Egypt in the Exodus. But also in verse 7, we see him mention Cushan and Midian. And they trembled. So these were tribes that were in the nearby area witnessing what's going on in Egypt. As this, this people of God, Israel, begins to make their way out. and This, this people who is much smaller and less powerful completely have obliterated the nation of Egypt. And so Cushion and Midian, who are onlookers to what's going on, Egypt was the world power at that point, they're onlookers seeing what's happening, and they begin to tremble. Because they see something powerful just happened. And then verses 8-15, through Habakkuk describes what God did to Canaan. So he described what, what he did to Egypt, bringing them out of Egypt at the Exodus. And now as they head into the Promised Land, Canaan, Habakkuk begins to describe what he did there. But he likens God to a warrior. As we look through these, these verses, we see that he's likening God to a warrior who goes out and fights on behalf of his people to secure their salvation, to secure their safety. In verse 8, he says that uh, you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. Notice all the, the warrior imagery. In verse 9, we see bow and arrow imagery. Verse 11, we see in reference arrows and a spear. Verse 12, you marched through the earth verse 13 you went out for the salvation of your people essentially saying you went out to battle for the salvation of your people and then we see in still in verse 13 you crushed the head of the house of the wicked and so Habakkuk is saying you went out and you won you were victorious and that crushing of the head sounds a lot like the promise that we see in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve had had failed after they had fallen into sin God promises that the offspring of the woman will eventually crush the head of the serpent. He says, I, as he's talking to the serpent here, God is, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your and you shall bruise his heel. So God promised that Satan would bruise the heel, so not a deathly blow, but he would, he would get his strike in against the offspring of Eve. However, he also promised that Eve's offspring, that promised one, would deliver a deathly blow to the serpent, crushing his head. And so, God, we see this in verse 14, is victorious over enemy warriors. He, he says, you, pl- "You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors." He uses their own weapons to defeat them. And then, in verse 15, we see another reference to the Exodus. It says, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. So here's the point of those verses there is that Habakkuk is recalling again and again and again and again and again how God went out on behalf of his people and secured their salvation. How God saved them from their enemies. They did not save themselves. God went out on their behalf and acted for them verse 13 god went out for the salvation of his people and so here's the thing friends is that god going out on behalf of his people to secure their salvation that didn't stop with the exodus habakkuk just mentions the exodus here in passing several times it also didn't just stop with the promised land with canaan he mentioned both of those things he spent a good amount of time There, But we see that God ultimately went out on behalf of his people to secure their salvation in his son, Jesus Christ, who lived that life. He went out from from his heavenly dwelling. He came down and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived a perfectly holy and righteous life. The life that we were told to live. Be holy as I am holy. But we have fallen short, every one of us. But he went out on our behalf and lived that life. And then he received the punishment for our own sin. For all those who call on him. And so Christian, take comfort knowing that whatever you're presently going through and in a room this size, there's all kinds of different seasons, different stages, all kinds of different circumstances that people are going through. But take comfort knowing that whatever you're presently going through or whatever you will go through, God has gone out like a warrior on your behalf. And he has secured your salvation, so that this life does not get the final say. So that just as Christ overcame death, you will as well, if you are in him, if you have placed your faith in him, to remove your sin and to be your master. If you're here, if you're hurting, experience difficult news, I, I can't promise this life will get any easier. I can't make that promise to you, even if you are a Christian. But if you are a Christian, I can promise that this life is as bad as it will ever get for you. It will never get any worse than this life. And you will have an eternity ahead of you of eternal bliss with your king. If you're not a Christian, and maybe you're saying, I'm not going through a bad season. In fact, life is great. Life's great for me right now. I don't see any reason to call on Christ. I don't see the effects of my sin. Life's good. I would encourage you to consider the enemies that God defeated on Israel's behalf. Life was good for them too. They were experiencing military victories. They were experiencing wealth. They had land, security. Life was good for them until God decided to address their sin. And once he did, their destruction was sure. They didn't know when that would take place, but when it did, it was sure. And friends, there will be a day when your sin will also be addressed. We don't know when that'll happen. We don't know when our time is up. We don't know when Christ will return. But either when you die or when Christ returns, your sin will be perfectly addressed. Maybe you say, well, I don't believe in a God who would destroy people. I just don't don't, don't believe in a God who would exercise wrath against people. Well, Ed Welch points out, he says that the knowledge of God cannot be denied. It can only be distorted. The knowledge of God cannot be denied. It can only be distorted. And Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, in that first chapter, Romans 1, he addresses this. He points out some of this stuff, that the knowledge of God wasn't so much being denied as was being distorted. Uh, if you read uh, Romans 1, verses 18 through 19, and then we'll look at 21 and 22, he says this to them. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools so they knew God but they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness and the knowledge of God cannot be denied but it can be distorted there is a day when God will come and address all sin he will judge perfectly and his wrath will be poured out against all sin and unrighteousness the question is are you going to be the one who pays for it or will you call on the name of Christ who has offered to pay that on your behalf and has offered to give you his righteousness freely not by any works you have done but freely and then third third point we see here is Habakkuk rejoice look at verse 16 after describing what God has done Habakkuk now describes himself he says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He's, he's terrified of God's promise. He, is, he has accepted that God is going to judge, right? But he's also honest. And we've talked about throughout this, this series how you can be honest with God. You can bring your honest complaints, your honest questions to God. Just keep bringing them to him. And Habakkuk does. And he he acknowledges God is going to judge. And he is honest with God. He says, I'm terrified. I have seen what you have done in the past against those who you brought judgment against. And you have told us that Judah, the nation that Habakkuk is presently in, is going to receive some of that judgment. And I am terrified. And Babylonians were a fierce people. If you turn over, turn over a couple pages, uh, back to chapter 1. And then look at verse 7. This is God answering Habakkuk's complaint. And he's describing what he knows about Babylon. He says, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour They all come for violence, not for peace. They all come for violence. And their faces, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their own God. This is a fierce people. There is no military strength that intimidates them. Fortresses are built up, they laugh at it. They overtake it. And so Habakkuk is rightfully terrified. You've got to appreciate his honesty there. My body trembles, my lips quiver, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble. Now in light of all of that, look at the second half of verse 16. He says, yet, in light of all that, yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So he trusts, that even though this terrifies him, he trusts what God has said, that he is going to bring judgment against this Babylonian people who are about to invade Judah. He trusts that. And look, even if you're, even if you're not a Christian today, you have to deal with the prophetic nature of this book, right? Because even, even those who aren't Christians recognize this book was written before 586 B.C., and it was 586 B.C. when Babylon came and invaded the southern kingdom of Judah and overtook it. And so we see that even, even those who are not Christians would acknowledge that this was written before that took place and God said it was going to take place and then it did. Just a, a quick apology. That's not even in my notes, but you can, just, you can just take that for free. But this is something that you as, a, as a, a non-Christian need to come to grips with, is that this book is prophetic in nature and it is right in everything. That it claims to be right in. But notice in the second half. um, Or yeah. In the second half of verse 16. And going through 19. Notice Habakkuk's trust in God. Now he trusts in God for at least three things. For at least three things. Justice, salvation, and strength. Justice, salvation, and strength. He trusts in God to provide justice. And we see that against Babylon. He just said he's going to quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade him who invade the kingdom of Judah. So he trusts that God's going to bring judgment against the Babylonians who are going to invade Judah. He trusts God's timing. He says that he's going to wait for that justice. And he also trusts God quietly. Now, Habakkuk has been anything but quiet, right? He has brought some really serious complaints to God. And now, this third one, Habakkuk says, you know what, I believe you. I'm going to wait quietly. You won't hear any more complaints out of me. I'm I'm no longer frustrated. I'm terrified, but I'm not frustrated. Similar, uh, we see something similar uh, in the story of Job, where after complaining to God several times, we see God respond to Job. And Job, after hearing God's response, has a similar response to Habakkuk. So we see in Job, you don't have to turn here, but this is chapter 40 of Job, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord. This is after God responded to him. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice but I will proceed no further. God's ways are higher than ours. We can trust him to provide justice. Habakkuk says that. He says, I will wait quietly. We can trust God to provide justice. He says that uh, he's going to provide justice against Babylon. But also, if you look at verse 17, we see that Habakkuk is trusting God to provide justice against the kingdom of Judah that he's a part of. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Habakkuk recognizes that difficult days are coming. He knows that God is going to bring justice, not only against Babylon, who's going to invade them, but also Judah. Yet, he knows that God will save. So he's trusting God for justice. He's trusting God for salvation. This is that second one. You see that in verse 18. He says, yet, in light of all that, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So look, this trust that God is going to provide justice and this trust that God will provide salvation led to Habakkuk having joy even in the midst of difficult days. Even in the midst of extreme difficulty and even potential death. Habakkuk can rejoice in the Lord. He can take joy Why? Tim Keller, who just passed away just just a few days ago, he put it this way. He said, all death can do, all death can now do to Christians is to make their lives infinitely better. All death can now do to Christians is to make their lives infinitely better better so Habakkuk knows difficult days are coming he trusts God to provide justice against Babylon he trusts God to provide justice against the kingdom of Judah he also trusts God to provide salvation and he says look even if it kills me I know that that's going to lead to an infinitely better eternity than what I'm presently dealing with and if that's not the case if if God does not bring death to Habakkuk and he allows Habakkuk to to go through it Habakkuk is trusting him that third thing there for strength look at verse 19 God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. David Firth commenting on this. He said, although his society faced great challenges, Habakkuk could continue to know that Yahweh was his strength. That just as the deer was enabled to walk on challenging places, so also Yahweh continued to enable Habakkuk to walk by faith, in challenging days. So he's trusting God to provide salvation, or excuse me, justice. He's trusting God to provide salvation. And then if he lives through this, he's trusting God to carry him through and to be his strength. So although difficult days are coming, Habakkuk trusts him to strengthen him through them. And although Habakkuk is terrified of God's judgment, rightfully so, as we just saw, Uh, who the Babylonian people are, he is able to rejoice because he knows God will ultimately save him. If he dies during this judgment, his life will be infinitely better because he'll be with the Lord. If the Lord sees him through, then he strengthens him, great. But eventually he's going to be with the Lord again. God will ultimately save him. And so even in challenging days, friends, brothers and sisters, even in challenging days, we can live by faith. That's the theme of this whole book, is that the righteous live by faith. Even in challenge we can live by faith. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful to provide justice. God is faithful to provide salvation, and God is faithful to provide strength. See this in Habakkuk's situation. We see it also in our own. Habakkuk trusted God for justice, salvation, and strength. I wonder can the same be said about us? When we go through difficult days, when we get difficult news from doctors, when we hear difficult news about our kids, when things go wrong at our job, can we trust God to see us through difficult days? Can we live by faith, trusting that He is going to provide justice, He is going to provide salvation, He'll see us through, and He'll also provide strength to get us through? when you see, like Habakkuk, when you see the effects of sin all around, are you trusting that God will bring perfect justice? If you're a Christian, does your salvation lead you to rejoice even in the midst of those difficult days? Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus sends out 72. Sends them out to do ministry, and then they come back rejoicing because they've had all kinds of success and spirits are subject to them and and Jesus says this it's interesting it's an interesting response but Jesus says this to the 72 he says do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven rejoice in your salvation praise God when things around us go well that's wonderful but when they don't go well are you still able to rejoice because your name is written in heaven Habakkuk was able to rejoice in the God of his salvation are you trusting God to be your strength or potentially have have you gone elsewhere for that strength where do you go to when things get difficult where do you go when you feel anxious friends I would encourage you go to the Lord Go to the Lord. If if we've seen anything in this book, we see that the Lord responds to honest prayers. Go to him honestly. Go to him in the name of Christ, the only name that you can go to him. And Christ himself has has secured your position to be able to go to that throne, to approach that throne of grace with boldness. If you're going in the name of Christ, you can be honest. Go to the Lord. We just sang, It was a very fitting song for this, Uh, for this passage, but dear refuge of my weary soul. In verse 3, we sang this. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? No. Still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Oh, may I ever find access to breathe my sorrows there. Friends, you can bring your sorrows. You can bring your complaints to the Lord. If you are in Christ, then you can approach that throne of grace with boldness. There will be days when it feels like everything around you is crumbling. Habakkuk felt that. There will be days when you don't understand why God is doing what he's doing. Habakkuk was very honest about how he didn't like the way God was addressing the situation. He didn't understand. And there will be days when it looks more appealing to reject Christ than to follow him. But when those days come, I would encourage you to remember God's faithfulness. Let the past inform your future. The righteous live by faith because God is faithful. He's faithful to bring justice. He's faithful to provide salvation. And he's faithful to provide strength in the midst of hard days. God answered in verse 2, what we looked at, uh, Habakkuk, when he made this request that in wrath, remember mercy, God answered that prayer. Fast forward 600, uh, 650 years, we see God's Son, Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross, bearing the full weight of the wrath of God, his, his full judgment against the sins of his people. We see. God's wrath poured out, but even in his wrath, he remembered mercy. So that anyone who would call on Christ would have their sins paid for entirely through Christ on the cross, and they would receive his perfect righteousness. So if you have entrusted yourself to Christ, friends, you can boldly request God to act against sin and injustice. That's a good thing. You can also remember that he has acted through his son, Jesus Christ. He has acted on your behalf. He has gone out to secure your salvation. He went out to defeat our greatest enemies. Satan, sin, and death. And then you can also rejoice knowing that your victory has been secured In Christ. Uh, In our bulletin, I'm going to reference another song here. I didn't plan on doing this, but as we were singing it, I couldn't help it. On page four, Jesus is alive. That bridge there in the bottom right. If you are in Christ and you find yourself in difficult days, you can sing this and you can mean every word of it. Hallelujah, death is undone. Hallelujah, Jesus has won. Hallelujah, we overcome. But it's not in yourself, that last line, in Jesus. In Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for providing justice. We thank you for providing salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for being our strength. Or for those who are here, who are going through difficult days, strengthen them through it. Give them great hope. Help them to rejoice in the God of their salvation. Prepare us for those who are not currently in difficult days. Prepare us for when those days come. Lord, help us, like Habakkuk, to trust you for justice, to trust you for salvation, and to trust you for strength. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.